If you haven't been throughout, uh, with us throughout this series in 1 Corinthians, or if you need a reminder of where we've been as we're working through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, uh, let's start with the author Paul. He was a beast for the gospel. He would go around to these tiny communities and plant these little Jesus-following groups, town to town, often risking his safety, sometimes even risking his life to do such a thing. So he plants a church in this ancient city of Corinth. He's away from them for a while, and he begins to hear accounts and things coming from that church that don't line up with the gospel. And so he writes a letter to begin correcting their behavior. Now, here's what I want us to realize as we read 1 Corinthians and consider this lesson, is that these are brand new Christians that we are reading about. People who don't know what it means to be a Christian, don't know what it means to be with other believers and to worship God and to be like Jesus, who don't know how to handle conflict and resolution properly because it's all brand new to them. And so Paul writes this letter to correct them, but to encourage them to continue living like Christ. He is a good pastor who cares about them deeply meaning sometimes he talks about difficult things or things that they're getting wrong. His goal is to bring them from disorder back into order, to be the body of Christ that they've been called to be. So a reminder, a little snapshot of where we've been so far leading up to chapter 12. Chapter 1, Paul encourages and reminds them that teachers are meant for their encouragement not to be elevated to some kind of divine status so that they can look better themselves, which is what they were doing. They were saying, well, I was taught by Peter. Well, I was taught by Apollos. Some of them were even beginning to weaponize Jesus, saying, well, I was taught by Jesus, so there's my trump card. Nothing you can say against that. And all of it was creating disunity in the community. Chapter 5, we learn about this man who's having sexual relationships with his stepmother. And the congregation's response to that is, look how tolerant we are. Look at his freedom in Christ. But Paul reminds them that their Christian conduct has to match their Christian behavior. In chapter 6, we learn about Christians who are suing each other over seemingly insignificant reasons. Chapter 8, again, Christians are abusing their freedom, saying, well, we have freedom in Christ to do whatever we want. And Paul says, maybe, but you do not have freedom to offend your brothers and sisters in Christ. So pump the brakes. You might actually consider some self-imposing limitations for the sake of other people. Chapter 10, Christians are coming together, sharing in a meal. Some of them are getting there early, indulging, while others are embarrassed in a corner going hungry. Chapter 11, there's confusion about the roles of men and women in the assembly of God. And then, and we're going to get back to that in chapter 14. Don't worry, Tracy, we'll get back to that one. And then it leads us to chapter 12. There is an abuse and a misuse of spiritual gifts. And so Paul, he writes chapter 12 because he knows that this topic of spiritual gifts, It holds the power to unlock everything that God wants his church to be. 
You know, for the early church, this church in Corinth, one of the problems they had is that people thought church was all about them. You know, they say that Satan attends church every single Sunday, and that he wants you to believe that everything that we do inside this room is for your benefit, is to fulfill your needs, is to fill your cup, to be a consumer. But Paul reminds us, church, that we are not consumers. We are disseminators. And God has a purpose for you. In fact, if you're going to remember anything that I say this morning, I want you to remember that. God has a purpose for you. And that purpose is so much bigger than you think it is. In fact, that purpose is so much bigger than you. God has created you for something bigger than you. In fact, he not only created you for it, but he has gifted you for it as well. But the problem we run into is often we will use our God-given abilities, these Holy Spirit-empowered abilities, to serve ourselves rather than serving the people around us. And that is an abuse, it's a misuse, and it's exactly what's happening to our church in Corinth. Years ago, a man by the name of Norman Grubb, he wrote this book, uh, The Deep Things of God. And in the book, he has a quote where he says, man's greatest capacity is that of being a vessel, which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. He's referring to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that we have this treasure in these jars of clay, like we are the jars of clay and this treasure of God inside of us to show the surpassing power of God, not us. A remarkable image, but I don't think Norman Grubb was entirely correct whenever he said man's greatest capacity is that of a vessel, because I think instead man's greatest capacity is that of a channel in which the Spirit of God comes in us, but then flows out of us into other people. As Jesus said in John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow a river of living water. But we have a tendency to bottle God up, don't we? To get our theological package down tight, to come here every single Sunday to fill our cup so that we can make it through another grueling week ahead of us. But the Holy Spirit wasn't given so that we could splash around in our own little living water swimming pools. It was given so that it could flow in us and then back out of us. And if you're here this morning and you don't feel like your life is overflowing, like it's pouring out of you and splashing on the people in your life, then I would say that God has a deeper work in store for you. In fact, this is what Paul says in our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll put some scripture up here on the board, but I encourage you to get a Bible and to read these scriptures with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that nobody speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. That makes sense. And nobody can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Again, pretty intuitive. Verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7, if you're going to highlight or underline in your Bible, verse 7 is the one you want to go for. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We're going to come back to verse 7 to get a hook on spiritual gifts. Before we do that, though, I want you to notice verse 1 in this little phrase right here. Spiritual gifts. In the Greek, that word is the word pneumaticon. Pneumaticon. The first part of that pneuma is the Greek for wind or spirit. And we use this in the English language as well. Think of like a pneumatic drill or a pneumatic tire, right? So this is intuitive. So pneumaticons literally is translated the spirituals. It can refer to spiritual matters. It can also refer to a spiritual person or people. Pneumaticons. There's another phrase here that is really interesting. It's the word, well, it's the word uninformed. Which I, I love that Paul uses that word here because Paul seems to only use this phrase, I don't want you to be uninformed, in areas that he seems to identify Christians are most uninformed about or ignorant about. In fact, he uses this phrase twice, one here and one in First Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the ones who've fallen asleep regarding the coming of the Lord. So when it comes to the end of times, eschatology, the coming of the Lord, and when it comes to spiritual gifts, what we're talking about today, Paul seems to say that's where Christians seem to be the most ignorant about, <laughs> what we know the least about. And so Paul says here, I don't want the church to be uninformed any longer. We need to talk about it. And so he is about to dive into a lengthy discussion about spiritual gifts right here in chapter 12. He's going to touch on it in chapter 13, and then he's going to take another deep dive about it again in chapter 14. So let's close out this first part. Keep reading in verse 8. Here's what Paul has to say about spiritual gifts. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, <coughs> to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I don't know where you stand this morning in regards to this verse. Some of you here this morning, you might be what is titled cessationalist, meaning there was a time in history when we had full access to all of these gifts, but that time has ceased to exist, and in modern times, we no longer have access to this. Others of you in this room, you might be what's called part cessationalist, meaning there are some gifts on here that had their time and place in history, but we no longer have access to, and others of them we do have access to, part cessationalist. And others in the room here, you're just happy to be here. <laughs> You're just kind of lost in the middle of it all, and that's okay. We can all be together. We can all worship the same Jesus, and we can all just stumble our way through this thing together. It's okay. In fact, all of that sounds like a great conversation to have on more Wild Talk. Thursday night, Facebook Live, 7 p.m. 
church Facebook page. You can watch it, and I'm just going to offload that on Tracy and Joe to figure out for us. But here's what we shouldn't be afraid of. Here's what we shouldn't be afraid of this morning. We shouldn't be afraid to broach the subject. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about this. You know, <clears throat> I've seen spiritual leaders, when they, when they get to this topic of spiritual gifts, they'll, like, they'll begin like shifting their feet a little bit. Like they'll hide their hands or they get nervous. They say, I'm, you know, I'm afraid. They'll, they'll even say it like, I'm afraid to talk about this. I'm afraid to open up because I don't know what's going to happen. It's like they're afraid to open up a door that they're, they can't close again. Like they're going to be in a bank and they're going to just start talking and saying things they can't control anymore. Things are going to happen to their body and they lose control. But here is the truth. When it comes to being filled with the Spirit, it's never about losing control. It's always about allowing God to control more and more of me. Spiritual gifts are given to draw attention to God's goodness, to encourage other people to see God's goodness. They are never given and should never be used to call attention to yourself, to make yourself appear more important than other people in the room. They should always be to lift others and to point them to God. And so here's what I want to do quickly this morning, is I want to give us just some hooks when it comes to spiritual gifts, just so that we can wrestle with this and understand a little bit better what we're talking about when we're talking about gifts. And we're going to use just verse 7, just one verse, to give us three pointers. So take a look at verse 7 of chapter 12, and here's point number one. Number one, spiritual gifts are given, they are not earned. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They're called gifts, right? You don't take a gift, you receive a gift. An analogy that Paul is going to pick up on in the second half of this chapter is the analogy of a human body. He says Jesus is the head and the body, the church, is the body of Christ. And so think this through. If Jesus is the head, he gets to determine, he gets to gift the body with what the body does. My hand doesn't get to decide what it does. My head, or you know, through all the biology, it decides what my hand does. So if Jesus is the head, you can think of the Holy Spirit like the nervous system, which empowers the body to do what the head wants it to do, so that the body can be most effective and the healthiest version of itself. And I'm bringing this one up first. I'm pointing this to you in the text, because unlike any other qualification that you develop, that you earn through hard work, that you earn through determination, that you earn through a strong work ethic, your spiritual gift is not something you earned. It's something that was given to you. It was a gift, and it was given so that it would be received and that it would be used. And the moment that you sit on top of your gift, leaving it dormant, or the moment that you begin grasping for other gifts because that one looks more honorable or this one seems more prestigious, is the moment that they are no longer gifts to you, they are spiritual rewards. And you want to know the quickest way to spiritual frustration? Number one, try doing something God hasn't called you to do. And number two, try doing nothing with what God has called you to do. Quickest way. Spiritual gifts are given, they are not earned. Number two, spiritual gifts are not the goal. They have a goal, 
but they are not the goal themselves. Verse number seven, or verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, what? For the common good. The goal is the edification of the body, and this is a shift of mindset that we have been talking about all morning, that when you come here to church, when you, when you come into this building, it has to be less and less about what am I getting from my church, and more about what am I giving? What am I giving to my church family? Because this church, it needs you. It needs your God-given gifts. It needs you involved. It needs you pouring into our body so that we can be the healthiest, most effective version of it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage everybody in this room this morning, I'm going to encourage you to stick around five minutes after service for our elders forum. And like Tracy hinted at, we are going to reveal an initiative that we've been working on, that we're still working on, but an initiative that's going to help us do this thing better and more effectively and at a healthier pace. So I'll leave that one there. Spiritual gifts are not the goal. And then finally, number three, spiritual gifts are given to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has not only called you, the Spirit not only lives in you, I believe there are gifts of the Spirit employed when you are filled with that Spirit. And that comes by asking. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So we present ourselves, we ask him, we step out in faith, and I believe we have access, all believers have access to this. But many of our gifts are just merely laying dormant because we're not being filled with the Spirit. So how do we get filled with the Spirit? Well, the best verse I could find was Romans chapter 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and true. So if you're here this morning, you don't feel good enough to be used by God, I encourage you, present yourself to him fully present. Ask him genuinely, And then be prepared for something different in your life, a transformation. And it doesn't matter if you're a doctor by profession or a waitress. It doesn't matter if the color of your skin is black or the color of your skin is white. It doesn't matter if you have a trail of mistakes riddled behind you or if you're practically a saint. It doesn't matter if you feel worthy or you don't feel worthy. All people who have given their complete selves to Jesus who have sacrificed their life in the waters of baptism, who are no longer theirs, but are utterly his, you have been given a gift. It's been given to you. And now you are to be a channel that absorbs the Spirit of God, but then pours it out on the people around you. And the church, God's body, needs you. It needs you. You want to know what the biggest lie is? That many of you in this room might believe. That the devil is whispering in your ear maybe every single day. You want to know what that lie is? It's the lie that if I weren't here, it wouldn't matter. It's a lie. Satan's trying to pull you away. 
that if you weren't here, it wouldn't matter. Look what Paul says in the next portion of our text. Chapter 12, verse 12. Look what he says. He says, the human body has many parts, but many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. There's that phrase again, body of Christ. Body of Christ. What is Paul trying to get to when he says the body of Christ? We use that phrase, but what does he mean? Okay, so I have a fun way for us to define this and get a grasp on it. You're the body of Christ. You're all working together. You're all a team. So you just when you have the answer, you just yell it out. Okay, easy as that. You have it, you yell it out. A point for you. Good job. All right, what do you call a group of elephants? A herd. Perfect. Wow, look at y'all. Y'all are good. I thought this was going to be the softball. A group of lions? A pride. You've been watching Lion King. Good. Okay, going to get a little cheaper, uh, going to get a little trickier. What do you call a group of cheetahs? And it's not Cheetos. I wish it was, but it's not Cheetos. What do you call a group of cheetahs? <coughs> Nobody? It's a coalition of cheetahs. A coalition of cheetahs. Okay, another one. What do you call a group of donkeys? Be careful. <laughs> what do you call a group of donkeys? Anybody know? Almost, almost a pack. It's called a pace. You have a pace of donkeys. All right, two more. What do you call a group of crow? A murder. Yeah, okay, yeah, a murder. A murder of crows. Can you think of anything scarier than, oh yeah, I just got a murder of crows outside. Okay, last one. A group of vultures. Anybody know what a group of vultures are called? I'm not kidding. They're called a committee. And if you've ever been on a committee, you know. <laughs> Individually, each animal... <laughs> Each animal has one name, one name on their own, but together, together they take on a whole new identity. And it's only whenever they are together that they take on that identity. What do you call a group of people who have given their life to Jesus? You call, you call individual a Christian. You call a group of them what? The church. We might say a, a Christian community. Jesus said and Paul said, it is my body. And it's only when we are together, only when we are together, that we are the body. And only when you are involved are we the healthiest version of it. Together we are his body. We are the body of Christ. You might be the hands of the body that go out and serve. You might be the feet of the body that go into the world where other people don't go. You might be the mouth of the body that shares the truth with others. You might be the heart of the body that has an overflowing amount of love. But no matter what part you are, you are an invaluable part of the body of Christ. And every part of the body matters. Look what Paul says in verse 14. It's probably one of the funniest verses in your Bible. Verse 14 through 17. <coughs> Kids, listen up to this. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, hey, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less part of the body? And if the ear says, well, I'm not a part of the body either because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? The, if the whole body was an eye, how would you hear? How would you taste? How would you look around? Oh, I guess you could look around a lot, but it, 
If the whole body, part of the body was an ear, how would you smell anything? Imagine if I was just an ear up here trying to talk to you, but all I could do is listen to you, right? It doesn't make sense. So he's saying every part of the body matters. And I love that Paul contrasts the ear and the eye. Like, really think about it. The ear, it's easy for the ear to feel inferior to the eye, isn't it? It's like nobody cares about the ears. Everybody cares about the eyes. Whenever Arlo was born, you know what people asked? Oh, I wonder what color his eyes are going to be. They're going to be blue like his dad's. They're going to be brown like his mom's. What color? You know what nobody asked? I wonder what his ears are going to look like. <laughs> hmm. I just, I really wonder. Like, it's just, it's easy. Like, nobody in love stares longingly into each other's ears. And if they do, break up with that person. You want nothing to do with them. <laughs> nobody is having ear-to-ear conversations. Right? No, if you've ever seen a movie, nobody says, you're for my ears only. Just mine. Beauty is not in the ear of the beholder. Gross. <laughs> you're not, you don't have bedroom ears. You don't got stars in your ears. And no, they are not the apple of your ear. It's not, like, it's easy for the ear to feel inferior. I'm not important. What I do, it doesn't matter. But every part of the body matters. Paul says this, verse 22, our last verse. 22, and then I'll skip down to 27. 22, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important they're the ones who are actually the most necessary. Verse 27, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Let me show you what I mean. Everybody just hold up your hand. Hold up your hand. If you're not holding up your hand, I'm going to assume you don't have a hand, so just hold up your hand. Now, I want everybody to wiggle the part of your hand where 50% of your hand strength comes from. This little guy right there. 50% of your hand strength comes from your hand. If you don't have a pinky in here, I will arm wrestle you later today. But other than that, you have 50% of your hand strength from that little guy. Or how about this? I just recently learned where a uvula was. Well, I kind of. I know it's somewhere in here, right? And I also learned that the uvula, it secretes enough saliva in a lifetime to fill two Olympic-sized swimming pools. One gross, two amazing, right? <laughs> Armpit hair, right? A lot of you are getting rid of it, but it's actually helping you smell better, right? But it seems so insignificant. And sometimes what you do, it's not visible. Other people don't see it. But just because it's not visible, just because you feel insignificant, does not make that true. You are a valuable part of God's body. You know, this reminds me of Amos. Small Small book, small person, big impact on the kingdom of God. If you haven't read Amos in a while, I encourage you tonight, go read it. Jonah gave a six-word sermon, completely saved a city because of it. Six words in Hebrew. I'm still working on that for you. I'll, I'll get there, I promise. But six words, small, small, small sermon, small person, big impact. You are called, you are chosen, you are capable and you are an invaluable part to God's work. And at this church, now I'm talking to you, at this church, if you aren't engaged, if you're not serving, if you're not involved, if you're not loving, if you're not contributing, something that God wants to get done isn't getting done. Somewhere, somewhere, something isn't getting done. An analogy I can use for you is when my son Arlo, when he falls asleep in my arm, and he's getting bigger, 
So my arm goes to sleep a lot quicker these days. And you get all the tingly, right? You start feeling it. When that arm's asleep, it doesn't function. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. In fact, whenever I try to do the motions I can normally do with 100% of my strength, it's harder for me to do it. In fact, other parts of my body have to work harder to get the same task done. The rest of the body works harder. Something isn't being accomplished whenever not, when all of us are not involved in doing our part. A need isn't being met. A life isn't being changed. Somebody is being overcome by evil, and this isn't a guilt trip. This is not to put it on you. This is just reminding us, if we claim, I am a part of the body of Christ, then we're also claiming I am willing to do my part of that body. However significant or insignificant it feels, I'm a part of the body, I will use my gifts, and I will do it. And I hear some of you this morning. You're saying, well, what about my past? What about how messed up I am, the broken marriage that I came out of, the, the failed finances I can't take care of, my botched job at parenting? And I would say to you, your past doesn't disqualify you, it prepares you. It prepares you for what God has in store for your life. So if you're here this morning and your marriage has failed and you say, I can't be a teacher, my marriage has failed, maybe you're the perfect person God needs to use to heal somebody else. If you're here this morning and you say, well, I just don't know enough. I don't know this. Well, if you know Jesus and you love people, you're doing pretty good. We can use you. If you have a past of being addicted to something, drugs or alcohol or porn, you say, I can't minister to people. I say, maybe you're the exact person God needs to use to inspire people. It's not about your ability. God doesn't care about your ability. He cares about your availability. He just wants you to say yes, to open yourself up, to ask him to use you, and then to put your gifts to use. Your story, it matters. Your gifts, they matter. Your voice, it matters. Your generosity, it matters. Your words, they matter. Your encouragement, it matters. When you give an offering, that gift makes a difference. I told you I would release how much we raised for CareNet. Our goal as a church was to raise $500 to go to a, a nonprofit we have here in town. They help healing mothers who are thinking about abortion. They walk along with the family for a thousand days after the baby is born. Amazing ministry. We had a goal to raise $500. This church raised $800 for them. Blew out our goal. And your gift your generosity, it matters. It's going to go and it's going to serve families. It's going to create families because of what you gave. Your prayer, it matters. Scripture says it moves the heart of God. Why wouldn't I be praying if I thought that? When you invite somebody to church, to service, to class, it matters. Your invitation could change a life. It did mine. When you greet, when you listen, when you open up your home, when you make somebody a meal, you are showing the love of Jesus. And what you do for the least of these, Jesus says what? You've done for me. What do you call a person who surrendered to Christ? You call them a Christian. What do you call a group of Christians? We are the body of Christ. And if you do your part, and if we do our part, just think of what's possible. If the church globally does its part, we have a vision for this church to be known as a light in our community. We have a vision for thousands in Indian River County to hear the message of Jesus through you, through your mouth, through your actions. We have a vision for a group of followers who are going to give financially and change the world through it. 
we have a vision for hundreds to give their life to Jesus by the end of this year. And imagine this on a global scale. If the body was a healthy, effective body, every widow and elderly person could have their needs met. Anybody rejected or alone could feel God's love through his people. Every foster child and orphan could have the comfort of a loving home. Every pregnant girl who feels scared, they could feel supported instead. Every person who's trapped in addiction could find freedom in Christ. Every lost person in our community could hear the love of Jesus. We are the feet that deliver the good news. We are the hands that offer help to those who are without it, and we are the words that bring hope to a lost and hurting world, and you are a part of that body. You are an invaluable part to God's work. Let's pray. God, thank you for this call of action, for this lighting of a fire inside of us, God, we, we want to no longer allow these gifts that have been given us, to us to lay dormant in our lives, to be left unused. God, we are the body of Christ. We have confidence and faith that you can do amazing things through us, but God, it requires, it requires us to know our gift, to use our gift, to be a channel that outpours your love to a world that needs it so desperately. God, I pray for every person in this room, every person listening to this later, God, that they will take a moment to do something to identify the gift that you have given them. And God, that they will pray and look for opportunities, open doors that you give to use those gifts and to change this world. God, we are so grateful that you give us the hope that we so desperately need and that you graft us to this calling to being your hands and feet in this world. God, we love you, and we give it all to you. We say this prayer in the name of our Savior Jesus, at the head of the body that gathers here. Amen.